Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He's a master strategist. I am telling you how to save the lives of 600 men. Demolitions expert. Get onto the diving section. Tell them I want a wetsuit and a berry gun. And he doesn't need a license to kill. Except for a slight squelch when entering the flesh. They do not make any noise. Roger Moore fights against time and terror. Hello and welcome to Smirsh Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we're on a mission to save three lovely ladies from terrorists, while also avoiding any women if possible. Joining me to think about things via cat embroidery is the actor and writer, Mark Evans. Hello, Mark. Hello. How Thank are you? Thank you me. I am all the better for coming here to talk about North Sea Hijack. North Sea Hijack. Yeah, I didn't say that, actually. But yeah, it's North Sea Hijack. Oh, everybody. sorry, yeah. North Sea Hijack. Or if uh, you're in America, you'd know it as uh, folks. Yes. Yes, why is that? I don't know. I presume they thought the words North Sea and Hijack couldn't be possibly understood by an American but audience. But I would argue that one is more appealing than the other. North Sea Hijack is more appealing as a title than folks. Yes. Whereas folks sounds like a sort of slightly posho 19th century version of friends. It's yes. folks. Yeah. A group of old people who are just having fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's an old person's version of friends. Yeah. It's what they'll be putting on the telly in 30 well, years' time. this is an old person's version of a terrorist film, isn't it, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, but as... Uh, sorry, I'm going to delve into detail here. Hmm. Already, Anthony Perkins, who's playing the main villain, of course, yeah. says they're not terrorists. He's not a terrorist. He has oh, no yeah. ideology, no politics. That's right. He says we're not terrorists, when clearly they are terrorists. They are terrorists. Yeah. They are actually engaging in terrorism. So, here we go, North Sea Hijack. Now, first of all, we meet our eponymous hero for folks. For folks. Roger Moore, dressed as Portland Bill. And, and also, where's Wally? <laughs> and where's Wally? Wally hat, hasn't he it? has, yeah, yeah. He's wearing a lovely white and red striped hat, and you just go, he's playing where's Wally? We need to talk about the wardrobe in this, because... <gasps> the wardrobe's extraordinary. What, what decision is that? He, you know, he was quite a major film star, so he must have had the power to go, no, I don't wear hats like that well he famously doesn't run yeah well, he certainly doesn't run in this film it's one no, of the laziest not. films for an action film yeah. ever yeah but we, we meet folks for, for folks coming out of a castle yeah his castle his castle we presume what worth he leases or owns yeah. one or two maybe squats <laughs> maybe squats I wouldn't put it past him no it's a very weird man but he shares with the cats yeah lots of cats loves cats for a far superior breed <laughs> I seem to remember he says he does <laughs> um, but folks has got a little gang of people he's presumably kidnapped yeah, yeah. <laughs> brainwashed <them. laughs> brainwashed called folks fusiliers they've got their own little jackets and everything yeah on the back which is, they do, it's funny watching it again and as a, as a child when I first 
fell in love with North Sea Hijack. Right. And what's it again? You go, folks, Fusiliers. Well, that's a ridiculous name mm. because Fusiliers are infantrymen with rifles. That's the whole definition of fusil, rifle. Yep. That's what they call Fusiliers. These are people who go underwater and there's an F word that means someone who goes underwater. Why aren't they folks' frogmen? It does look like he's putting together a team for robot wars, doesn't it? Because <laughs> they're in little jackets. <laughs> folks' is Fusiliers. And who have we got? We've come up with the Moronator, <laughs> their robot who will kill with an eyebrow. It's got an axe that attacks women, which yeah. we'll get onto. Yeah, he is a terrible misogynist in Awful the film. But it's, it's, it's fine because it's played for laughs. It's fun. He's fun with it. Oh, Roger. Is he? Is he? Roger. Roger says himself that he feels he was miscast in this film. But he also, if you research it, he got the galley proofs of the novel and yeah. his wife read them, which would have been, it was not... Not Kiki Tholstrup, his last wife. No. But I just wanted to say Kiki Tholstrup. It was his wife before that, and she got the Ganny Proust and read it and went, this is the perfect part for you, Roger. Presumably, that's what led to the divorce. Well, also, I noticed his elite group of frogmen. Yeah. I'm going to call them frogmen. That's true. They're yeah. frogmen. Yeah. A couple of them, they're quite porky. They're not elite, are they? They're not elite. No. Again, leads to them thinking they've been kidnapped. <laughs> like they were putting their shopping in their car in Safeway, yeah. and the next minute they're bundled into a transit and driven to an island. Well, they're just on some terrible corporate bonding exercise that's gone wrong but it's Roger Moore what are they going to say so yeah Roger is running them through their paces being elite terrorist stoppers by throwing them in the water telling them they have to do it better than last time yes which is always very encouraging (laughs) throwing grenades in yes which is I think you know that's one of the great motivational methods Mm. if in doubt use a grenade yeah my children when they're doing their homework can't be bothered (laughs) I get the grenade out so daddy's pulled the pin seriously it's a good parenting thing you wait till my parenting book comes out (laughs) So, folks... Uh, <laughs> he's, also, he's also... I must point out that Roger's got a lovely beard in it, which is quite a stretch for him. Mm. He's not really done beard acting before. It's quite a straggly beard as well. It's not very... He's got a very well-kempt yeah. moustache, I noticed. The beard's all over the place. I look at it and I keep going, is it stuck on in makeup or did he grow it? I mm. can't decide. Well, I think it's stuck on makeup because the moustache mm. is beautiful. But then why, if you're famously a handsome film star, mm-hmm. would you demand a... You know, he's in charge of this film. He can, he can do what he wants in makeup. Why would he go, can you make me look rubbish and straggly why would he wants everyone because if someone said to you right here's a character every five seconds he downs scotch from a bottle <laughs> you're going to think straggly beard yeah straggly hat beard. <gasps> that's what it is he's basically been living in a ditch near this castle seeing yeah. the owners go away and thought right I'm moving in that's the premise of this film he lives in a ditch because he's got access to scaffolding yeah, the scaffolding when that and comes. grenades worryingly well <laughs> I think we've all got access to grenades we all know a pub I'm from North London I can just walk down Holloway Road I can get your grenade really? within 20 minutes I reckon um, so yeah folks uh, you, he runs his team through his paces mm. by throwing grenades in, which, and it's wonderful because you cut away to men swimming through clearly not the same lock he's hurling yes. grenades into. Tropical it's, waters. It, it is very like. tropical waters. Because they tried to film the real lock and went, well, it's misty and cold. Half the actors have died of hypothermia. We can't see a thing. Hence why there's porky ones now. <laughs> they're so porky, they need the fat to keep the game just a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, no, he lobs the grenades in and looks very happy as the credits roll. And then he packs up and he heads to London and he's, he leaves his man Harris in charge. Feed my cats. One of the cat keeps trying to get into his bag and he keeps going, no, not on this trip. This Enoch? No, no, this is Mary the cat. I oh, yeah. to remember. E- Enoch, uh, Enoch is the black cat sitting on top of the safe, I think. Mm. He takes lots of money out and then he says, I might, I'll be gone for a day, takes lots of money out and then goes, maybe two, <laughs> and takes another huge chunk of money out. Who knows what he's going to do with that money? Halls. 
horse. Horse and scotch. <laughs> but also, the best thing is, he does at the end get the, the massive two-litre bottle of scotch yes. that should have the label on upside down because those size bottles are only in pubs yes. and therefore the label's upside down because it goes in the optic. But oh, This is good detail. Um, this is, I'm basically a very organised alcoholic, so I know these things. Good, good. What I love is he's gone from Where's Wally, he's now wearing a tweed suit yes. and a sort of rounded collar on his shirt and a tie and he's not going to London, he's going to work for the civil service in the 19th century. It's, he's going to be Raffles. He is going to be Raffles, the gentleman thief. But he also has a go at a woman on the train. Yeah, so not, not just any woman. He has a go at Angela Thorne. That's right. But he, also, he takes a full bottle of scotch. Then he goes to the train. He drives himself to the train, gets yeah. off, uh, goes uh, morning angers to the guards. So obviously, yeah. he's friendly. Yeah. Gets on the train and gets out his bottle of whiskey. It's already quite low. Yeah. He's been drinking while he's been driving his car. It's a different time. That was not just legal, it was encouraged. Yeah, he tells Angela Thorne to stop smoking. He says, Madam, this is a non-smoking compartment. She's got her husband with her. Yeah, he says, I'm sure this gentleman is upset about it or something. She says, this gentleman is my husband. Yeah, and you're sort of expecting, he's already established he's quite a misogynist, him to come back with something, I pity him. Mm. But they leave it, so I'm thinking, you know, misogyny hold in the script. Slack. (laughs) But he does make her move out. And there's a great moment where she goes, do you have a first-class ticket? Well, he's dressed in this ridiculous tweed suit. He's doing embroidery. Of course he's got a first-class ticket. Yeah, we should point out at this point he's embroidering a cat picture. Because he absolutely loves cats. I don't think they've emphasised that enough. You know, a hint to all writers out there, an Mm. obsession with cats. I mean, that really stands in for doing a lot of writing of actual character. Well, it works because it leads you to believe this person is dedicated to his pets. Or mad. Well, it's it's down the wrong avenue, but inside there's a lot of love to give. And we'll find out later why this love has been misplaced. In a quite harrowing psychological scene with one of my favourite lines in the film but I'm not going to spoil it yet no it does sound like it was written on the back of a fag packet on the way to set that morning but yes this film is quite weird because there are the occasional genuine gems in there Mm. and that's because the man who wrote it also wrote those magnificent men and their flying machines Yeah. Uh, what's his name Jack Davis which is one of those things where you imagine he did the drop and oh it's a bit funny oh I'm going to leave it in and this is from the same director as Wild Geese as well. <gasps> Andrew V. McLaglin. Who is known for action. And there's not much action in this no, film, there oddly. Is so then he goes and meets George Baker. He does, which is another George great Baker. Bond connection. Yeah, he was in uh, The Spy Love. Yeah, him. as a, an admiral, wasn't he? And he was in, of course, The Majesty's Secret Service. Was as he? Uh, Hilary Bray. Was he? And he dubbed George Lazenby. No, I yeah. did not know that. Not all the way through the film, just right. when he's pretending to be Hilary Bray. So basically, George Baker says to him, this is this is why it felt mildly suspicious. If anyone ever tried to hijack an oil rig, can, oh, yeah. you, can you run an exercise to how you'd stop them yeah. it feels like he's in on it he does doesn't it, it feels or he's like, gambling it feels like the whole film is set up to prove Roger Moore's point Which, or, or to give him something to do every scenario though is set up to prove that he's right about everything even but yeah by the end when he says you know the mission's been accomplished according to plan yeah no there are loads of things go wrong loads of things wrong he's one of the worst anti-terrorist operators in the world <laughs> he's very good at making scaffolds and throwing fat blokes in the water oh yeah no, he's, but, good at, he's, he's, good, he's good at that and he's brilliant at drinking whiskey in yeah. fact I have a theory about the whiskey yeah. that I don't think he was a, an alcoholic but I think he saw Burton in The Wild Geese yeah. uh, or it's an Andrew V. McLaglan thing maybe it's his a sort of running joke in his films there's always a big alcoholic with whiskey because in The Wild Geese you've got Richard Burton with his double handed grasp on Stuart Granger's whiskey going just so you know I'm dry when I work which clearly folks isn't yeah, Roger no, is not dry in this he is not, he's very wet <laughs> very 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 wet indeed so George Baker says I want you to run a scenario yeah. about what would happen if someone tried to take one of our very nice oil rigs. George Baker works for Lloyd's, so he's protecting yeah. their insurance. So then we cut to Stavanger in Norway. I've got to go back to the 
end of the George Blake scene because oh, one yeah. of the weirdest things in the whole film Roger Moore after swilling lots of whiskey you want him to sort of look to camera at some point and go take that Burton mm-hmm. um, but at the end he goes will Marcia be joining us for dinner oh yes and George Baker goes oh sadly not and then there's this very weird bit where Roger Moore goes Pity. Yeah, he looks, he looks very pleased. And he looks very pleased because he's a misogynist, as we've established. And uh, the camera lingers on him for ages. Yeah. As if to say, relish Roger Moore being a misogynist. Yeah. Relish it, people. It's one of the weirdest things in any film ever. Are they thinking this is some sort of departure? Do you think, are they thinking that Roger Moore coming away from James Bond, who is famously not a misogynist, brackets, he is a misogynist, yeah. and playing a misogynist is some sort of weird departure, like he's doing Gandhi or something? It is. I think, I think that is the beard and the misogyny is mm. very much his reach for an Oscar yeah it's him going you know I can be Derek Jacobi I can be him and Kellen this is what I'm doing I also have a strange theory that I've developed over the years that this is actually it's Bond after he got fired say Judy Dench as M came yeah. in yeah. around the spy who loved me mm. and fired Bond mm. this is what he ended up doing yeah he's got the naval background set up his fat frogmen he's got all the grenades from his time in the secret service uh-huh. and he's a terrible misogynist because the first M of the secret service is the one who fired him yeah and he's hit the booze quite hard it's solid this is a sort of nightmare world of what happened when Roger Moore's Bond got fired and of course he's got another stretch to his acting he's drinking whiskey rather than vodka scotch yeah scotch sorry scotch will you stop saying whiskey please? sorry what, I, I, doesn't he say whiskey he says whiskey a lot I'm sorry he said scotch does he says we yeah. drink whiskey here oh, I don't know yeah. but in, these, in an Andrew right. V. McLaglan film it should be scotch in The Wild Geese it's scotch Neat yeah. with yeah. scotch, and he doesn't smoke in this. In um, Wild Geese, he's constantly got a cigar on. Yes, there was a very cigary film. And, he, Wild and, Geese. and Rog, if you notice, he, whenever the chance arises in the seventies, he always got a cigar on. Ah, yes, that makes sense. And doesn't even it? like Live and Let Die, he smokes a cigar. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, he's mm. not a cigarette smoking Bond, but he's a cigar no. smoking Bond. Yeah, and in the Wild Geese, I have an image of him with the cigar and with his silenced pistol. That's that, right. It is when he does that really weird knock kneed run yeah. to hide around the corner and go and zap someone. He is hiding under underneath a man who's uh, sorry to jump into Wild Geese but we talk about that in Wild Geese but he's hiding under a man with a gun you can't stop me talking smoking about a cigar <laughs> yes and yes. if you were that man above him you'd be like what's that smell yeah yeah but no that's of him being like that's him being a ninja basically <laughs> ninja skills yeah with a cigar utterly unseen I mean they can't see him but they can smell something yeah it's in the wind yes he doesn't have a cigar on this guy he really is he's expanding his range yeah. like you say he's going for the Oscar in this one he's compulsively watchable though. he's still mm. incredibly watchable he's, he's got a star quality to he love them all ever get nominated? No. I don't think so. No. Maybe for Bullseye. That's a film I saw in the cinema. <laughs> oh my god, did you? I'm slightly traumatised by it still. <laughs> I feel a bit, oh god, it's the kind of thing I hope my wife doesn't hear, she might divorce me. That's so you, you sat in the cinema watching two dogs fucking on the back of a truck? I, well, I probably did, yes. It's, I mean, you know, eagerly. I know, maybe it turned me on. I was young, it was weird. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I don't think I've, I can get over that. I've seen Bullseye in the cinema. What was the other person? Oh, I've, I've also seen, uh, not a Roger Moore film, but I've seen Parting Shots, the oh, Michael Winner film the in Chris the cinema. Oh, the Chris Rear one. Yeah, and, and a friend and I went to see it, and when we said, uh, we have two tickets for Parting Shots, the man thing went, seriously? <laughs> were you the only ones in the cinema? Yes, yes it was were. a joy. In fact, you probably earned it. It's 20 quid at the box office. It's probably did. I think it was one of those films where you look at the box office and you go, I am a statistically quite large proportion of that. <laughs> Oh my god, so you're a Michael Winner fan? No, but no. I really wanted to see parting shots and how bad could it be? Mm. Worse? Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so then, as yeah, I said before, we, we cut back to Stavanger, Norway, yes. where uh, Anthony Perkins and his friends are posing as uh, journalists. 
That's right. The yes. New York Times. And you look out at them, you look at them, and you think, I have never seen six men, isn't it? Yeah. Who look less like journalists and more like dangerous, violent criminals. Yes. They have made no effort to look like journalists. They might as well have terrorists written on their head in glowing pen sort of thing. Yeah. They are so ridiculously evil right from the start. Yeah, they're And all led good. by the tiny David Woody plays... Uh, yes. He's Mr Herring. Jack and Ori's David Wood. Yes, which is where I remember him from. Yeah. He's really sweet S- and funny. The, the best thing about him is he's... Um, you don't find out until later in the film what his first name is. But yeah. he's Mr Herring, yeah. and his first name is Terry. Yeah. He's Terry Herring. <laughs> Terry Herring? <laughs> That's one of the great names of all time. That, that, you see, shows there's a comedy writer having written this. That's the man who did those magnificent men in their flight. Right, didn't want Terry Herring in that, did you, Ken Anakin? So I'm going to shove him in this. McClaglan won't notice. And in goes Terry Herring. This shows you how ridiculous this film is, that Terry Herring is probably the least silly thing about the whole <laughs> film. Compared too. to the bobble hat, it's nothing. Bless that bobble Take hat. Take a moment for the um, hat. Yes, but they, yeah, they're, in, they're in Norway, supposedly. Doesn't yeah, look anything doesn't like look Norway. Like Ireland, and, apparently. One of my favourite things is the cars that pull up with them in it, mm. the front one is a Saab. Yes. Like they've gone, oh, Sweden quite close to Norway that'll fool everyone mm. and then later when the lorry turns up a kit and it's Volvo and you go oh again it's Swedish but that's it's got Scandinavian written all over it you feel like that's a production designer going I shall suggest Norway with a type of car <laughs> but then we get a little like, Yorkie advert going on we see lots of men working yeah, we all know what it's like being on a resupply vessel for the oil rig industry. Mm. We will make people wave their arms. There's a great bit where a bloke, one of the crew, suddenly runs towards the cabin and does a big thumbs up. Yes. And it's really funny because you go, it's almost like the camera just they left it rolling. Just do some workman stuff and they all went off for lunch. Mm. And I like to imagine this guy did loads and loads of ridiculous stuff and eventually the director came out and went, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. There's the magic. And yeah. we, we've forgotten the fact it's um, the, the captain of the ship. I was just going to say. Oh, sorry, yes. No, go on. It's Jack Watson. Yeah. And Andrew McLaglan favourites yeah from it's Wild Geese RSM Sandy from the Wild Geese still sad about Sandy we're all sad about Sandy I keep thinking about his poor wife because <laughs> yes, oh, yes, yes when you first see him in the, she what, was talking about the Wild Geese he's doing the lawn trimming a hedge trimming the hedge and he's not meant to go but he goes you know how he dies in the book no ah the book now the book's very different in the Wild Geese um, Faulkner ends up on the ground wounded yeah. and blinded I think Jander's Rafer gets away mm. um, so there's no Sean I shot Rafer there's none of that that made me cry the first time I saw still it still does still yeah. does mm. uh, we need, Emil we need to talk about your father oh, sorry don't, sorry don't, no, don't. doing Come a different on. film but, don't um, talk about Emil in the, in the book the RSM is, is Faulkner's loyalist old non-commissioned officer and he uh, lies next to him and sacrifices himself and guides the now blinded Faulkner to shoot at the oncoming soldiers and that's how they go out together. That's a man's death. I like it better in the film, though, because he gets shot and he behaves like a child. Yes. He calls him by his first name for the first time as well. It's yes, quite he a beautiful does, doesn't moment. he? Yeah. And he's like a child. Alan. He goes, Alan! It's like saying, I've been shot and I don't know what to do. And Richard really? Burton goes, I don't answer to Alan. <laughs> <laughs> you will call me Colonel Faulkner. Sorry, I just keep thinking about poor Emil. Yahoo! Yahoo! <laughs> Poor Emil. He's probably over it. He's got a stupid name, though. It's his French mum, isn't it? Well, but, yeah. But his dad was called Rafer. That's true. That's a man's name. Man's name, Rafer Jarders. Emil is not a man's name. Best planner I've ever known. Right, let's, let's talk about, talk about Isaac. But yeah, Jack Watson with his Norwegian accent. Yeah. Now that, I mean, he really is genuinely making a stretch for the Oscar and going he's, for an he's, accent. He's the best thing in it. No, he's, he's great. He's I, the, his accent-wise is the best thing in it. His accent, his accent is good. And also he's got, he's just 
got that wonderful oak-like mm. dependability and wonderfulness as an actor. Yeah. He's just he's an actor I never tire of watching things. Just go, well, you're going to be all right. You're lovely. He should, he should be in everything. He's a post. Yeah, he is. He's an absolute... He's a pillar of film character acting. He should have done everything. He should have been like, you know, Yoda, Gandhi. Should have done Virginia Woolf in that film that, you know, Nicole Kidman got the Oscar for with a big nose. The Hours. Is that, is that what that was? I yeah. Think yeah, I think nice. he was dead when that came out, though. Dig him up. Dig get him, him up. on set. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he's playing the Norwegian captain of the vessel. Yeah. The Esther. Because, of course, the book's called Esther, Ruth and Jennifer, isn't it? Which is a very strange title. It is. It makes it sound like it's a sort of well, little written, women knockoff. I've written here it sounds like a Donovan, <laughs> three Donovan songs. Or, it does. It's quite a hippie title. It is. Um, Whereas Northsea Hijack is for men. You're not messing. Folks, isn't you're not messing. What happens in this film? There's a hijack. Where did it take place? The North Sea. Job done. Yeah. So then Anthony Perkins' men reveal themselves fairly quickly. They do. They take the ship over After really quickly. After a bit of bit about which, which Japanese guy's which. Yes. And they, yeah, they do a long explanation of which papers everyone's from. And, and yeah. the guy from the Dallas Times goes, howdy. Because he's from Dallas and therefore he must be a cowboy. Yeah. Subtle. Yeah. I mean, these guys are brilliant at disguising themselves as not terrorists. Yeah. But within moments of that, so it's like Anthony Perkins thinks, right, that's done. I'll just get my gun out now. Yeah. I don't know why they bother. Why no. don't they just get the gun out right from the start? Right from the start. Makes much sense. easier. It, at this point, I was really confused because it made it, this bit makes it seem like old Mr. Herring oh. isn't in on it, whereas in fact he is in on it. Yeah, but we don't find that until later, do we? And no. It, and it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is because he gets seasick. Yeah, he gets seasick very quickly yeah. and does some lovely having green makeup put on him acting and holds a handkerchief to his face like a mildly offended Austin heroine yeah. <laughs> for the whole film Austin Herring yeah Austin Herring yeah. Austin Herring that's a, that's a, that's a film it's name. a better name it is a better name than Terry Herring Terry Herring no Terry Herring Terry Herring's a great name um, but then uh, to show that they mean business they shoot a Watson's man who looks a bit like Derek Dedman in fact I thought it was Derek Dedman at first <laughs> they shoot the first officer and, and doesn't Anthony Birkin say something like he's dead uh, well Jack Watson goes he's dead yeah and he goes throw him over the side and Perkins goes that was his choice Oh, yeah. It's like, not, not really. really. You shot him. You, yeah, yeah, you shot him, mate. And then uh, Watson says, he deserves a Christian burial. Yes. Deserves <laughs> a Christian burial. Yeah. And they chuck him over the side. Chuck him over the side. Which is, is that is that in the liturgy, the Christian liturgy? Oh, no, no, because uh, Anthony Perkins <laughs> defies that. And says, oh, no, God. fuck it, throw him over the That's board. just rude, isn't it? Yeah. Well, That's he's not rude. very nice. Is he not? No. Terrorists, sorry, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I know he said he wasn't one, but you must remember that he is. And then at this point, just to underline how horrible he is, he mocks Watson's... <gasps> he does! Norwegian. He does, he takes the accent piss, doesn't he? He does. It's not very nice. And then yeah. his mate, um, Harold, laughs particularly hard at it. With these horrendous glasses. Harold's glasses. Yeah. Harold's glasses with the weird lenses that make his eyes look absolutely enormous. Yeah, he died recently, didn't he? Yes, very recently. Yeah. Um, and this was sort of in his in his 70s time where he was doing the work people thought was slightly beneath him because he's a great actor and then Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez yeah. sort of rescued him saying he's this amazing actor. Mm. And uh, But he made a decision and it must have been his decision. Must have been. To wear glasses that make his eyes look massively big and weird. I'm imagining there were two costume pieces on the table. One was a red bubble hat, one was the glasses. <laughs> Roger Moore hovered over the glasses and went, no, I'll go bubble hat. <laughs> it's my film, I get the hat. <laughs> I'm not wearing those fucking glasses. <laughs> but also, I think it, to have your lenses make your eyes look that big, mm. you have whatever the word for the opposite of myopia is. So you're long-sighted. Gyopia? Gyopia. <laughs> 
ginormopia, <laughs> uh, which would mean those are effectively his reading glasses. Yeah. And presumably he can't see anything beyond book length away, <laughs> an arm length of book away. Yeah. Maybe they're a weapon. Well, he could focus them. If the them. sun comes out, yeah. he could hold them up and burn someone alive. Then they are laser glasses. Yeah. Laser glasses. Laser glasses. He does the laughing at Perkins taking the piss. Yes. Which obviously means, obviously he's evil. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's always laughing at things that Anthony Perkins says. And I think this is actually one of the bits in the film that I genuinely love, is that throughout it, it's very weird. He's always very supportive of Anthony Perkins. At mm. one point he goes, ooh, you know, why don't you have a lie down? Yeah, Lou. it feels like they're supposed to be... And I think, I really think there's a, which I didn't think of as a child, but watching no. it again recently, I go, oh, I think they're playing this as a couple. Yes. And I think that's really good. Yeah. And it, it's really subtle and works brilliantly. And there's a little bit of touching between them. There is. And he sort of looks after him mm. and knows that while, you know, Perkins is Lou Kramer is in charge he's also a bit of a nutter and he tries to stop him doing that and actually that's a genuinely great bit of the film yeah. they've, they've established this little relationship between them I think it's really good but he still has the silly glasses I reckon maybe maybe when they go to bed together there's Anthony Perkins going keep the glasses on Harold <laughs> Maybe they turn him I on. I want to look into your eyes. <laughs> your giant fucking eyes. I really want to look into your eyes from about 100 feet away because I can still <laughs> look into them quite easily. Oh, my God. But I do think that him, him and Perkins' relationship, I love that. I think they obviously clearly played it as they're a couple. Yeah. And that's great. It is. You haven't had that since Wind and Kid. No, yeah. It's the first yes. kind of gay, obviously yeah. gay couple yeah. in baddies that I can think of apart from Wind and Kid. Yes, that's true, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. But less funny. A bit more evil. No, and there's really? no bombs and cake trolley. Here. No, but there is a bomb in the boat. Yes, yes, take the escorts quite quickly. They get out their little control panel. Does yeah, with the Donimo it? tape that they Sort of done. like in Blankety Blank when the Super <laughs> Match game came around at the end. <laughs> It is. Uh, yeah, if you, don't, if you don't respond to my demands, I'm going to blow up a blank or a blankety blank. Old Wogan has got a bomb on Esther. I'd like Barry Cryer and, and Willie Stubbs to help me. And Willie Rush. Oh, is it Jennifer? Is it Willie be Jennifer? Um, yes, but it, it's a really weird control thing because it's there. It's got yep. quite large buttons. Yep, and keys. And keys. And you're putting it on a ship that's about to go into the North Sea, which is famously rough. Yeah. I'm thinking at any point someone could grab that for balance. And Well, it explains why he wants, it explains why he wants He's insistent about sitting in that chair next yeah. to it because he's probably aware that any second that could get pushed. And this is, I, you see, this, again, is another thing where this is a film for lazy actors who are tired. And I reckon the whole film, Roger Moore doesn't do a lot. He does a lot of sitting down, a lot yep. of standing around, a lot of lying down. And I reckon he was tired of doing Bonds and didn't want to do the stunts. And Perkins mm. must have done something before him that made him tired or was just feeling a bit Because he then sits in the captain's chair pretty much the entire yep. film. And in the toilet for a bit as well. Yeah, he does go to the We don't see that, no. which I think is a shame yeah I think that would be interesting yeah to see a Perkins poo yeah um, we're assuming that's what he did yeah. but, he, but he sits in the captain's chair the whole time there's that bit where the captain sits in it again later and he rudely shoves him he out and him him Harold out. rudely shoves him out the way yeah so that his mate his boyfriend can sit down again yeah but then Anthony Perkins does this bit of uh, dialogue which feels like he's doing an advert for the oil rig his, uh, his, his boyfriend says to him what, you know he basically says to him what's that and he goes oh it's an oh, amazing yeah. oil rig and it's worth 15,000 million pounds which when they say it like that sounds like a child saying it it does. Fifteen thousand billion pounds. It's a lot, a lot of money. And then doesn't he say like that's a lot of hair cream? Because uh, apparently that's what North Sea oil is used for. Yeah. And, unless he's, I mean, he's got this really wrong. Does he think if he blows these things up, he's going to stop the hair cream industry? In its he place? should say as well as saying I'm not a terrorist. You say I'm not a barber. I don't know about hair cream. <laughs> I really don't know why. I, I just said hair cream. I sort of panicked everyone. I panicked. <laughs> I said hair cream. I don't know why. Leave it in. I could it? have said petrol. That Direct. would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. It's Harold. I'm going to give you some exposition now. Yeah, yeah. Because it's important for the people watching the film. Everyone at home don't 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Worry about it. And then talking of American accents, we then meet David Hedison. Yes. He's my favourite Felix. Felix Leiter. He's great. And he's got, to show how stressful his oil rig job is, they put big grey bags under his eyes. It's really weird. He looks like he's about to turn into a zombie. Yeah. My favourite thing is his office. Over his right shoulder, sitting down, there's a graph on the wall. Yeah. Do you notice the graph? I didn't. There's a graph. It's (laughs) It's a graph and it's got like five lines in sort of tape that go up and down jaggedly. There seem to be no labels on it. And if ever there's a bit where the director suddenly went, that bit of wall's a bit blank. I think we do with a graph. And the art department had to quickly put something together and did a graph. It's one of the most meaningless, pointless... Gra- Go and look at the film. It amuses me because there are no labels on it. There are nothing. It's just some lines. I know it's it is. It's a really funny graph. It's, he's measuring his penis like Adrian Mull. <laughs> that's it's, it. It's the Norwegian rubber industry. That's it, isn't yeah. it? That is exactly what it is. And that's why, you know, that weird spike that's on it at one point. I mean, what happened? Terrible, terrible incident with a drilling. Yeah. Oil drilling. You saw a man with his top off. <laughs> doing some drilling. That's why I don't like that. No, it's a liberated film. Um, so then, all the all the crew are shoved into a room, and they're all panicking, and, you know, they're all being treated quite horribly. Yeah. Even though they're allowed to sit in a room by themselves. Yes, it's a little bit rough, and they haven't shot any of them. You'd think a baddie would go in the room with them and sit with them, wouldn't you? Yeah, but they got their man... to their own devices. I, well, I think, I think this film is essentially about incompetent terrorists yeah. and incompetent people defeating them. Them. Yes. Because n- no one in this film has the competence which they boast about. Anthony Perkins is constantly going things like, uh, is, is one of our guys on guard downstairs? Yeah. Well, you shouldn't have to ask. No. You really no. shouldn't have to ask that if you've taken over a ship. But they leave them. They leave the crew all alone and occasionally have one of the Japanese guys with a, he sits there with his Uzi. They just sit opposite and somehow the crew tend to go where they want at times. Yeah. They don't and, even, they, sometimes they'll just say, oh, we're just going off to do this. They're like, all right. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we're just going to go to the, yeah, we're going to go to the kitchen now, make some break bacon eggs. Oh, fine. Yeah, what, what could be dangerous there? Yeah. Idiots. Bad terrorists. It's like that in, you know, in The Dark Knight where he says about, you know, movable force meeting something else oh, yeah. and they have to clash. It's like that, but with incompetence. <laughs> You've got two incompetent people going head to head. Something's going to give. Yes, an incompetent force meets an utterly unable object. But it's at this point where the lady in the group, I've forgotten her name. Sana. Sana mm. suggests poisoning them. Someone says, um, we should get to the poison. Yes. And then she said, oh, we have the poison's cupboard. You can go to the poison's cupboard. Why, and is, why is there a poison's cupboard on the boat? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Why would you have a poison's cupboard? It's even written cupboard? down as well. Yeah, it does say poison cupboard. Yeah, when, would... when they look in there, it tells them what the name of the drug's called. Why would you have a poison's cupboard? You'd have a medicine cabinet, not a poison's cupboard. But, yeah, and they say, we've got morphia. Yeah. So they got morphia. Morphine, they could they could use that or colchazine, I Colchicine, think is yeah, there. And that's what's written down in the drawer when you open it. When yeah, when they actually do get the poison. So he's, he's really, I, th- I think the captain is deeply depressed and was about to kill himself when this hijack happened. But 
and he'd written it down so he knew for later. <laughs> so when he sends when he sends his second officer down to get his pipe and yeah, they they talk about culturezine, which uh, I looked up actually. And culturezine, you know what culturezine is? No, it's actually used in the treatment of gout and can be fatal, but in such enormous doses that it's really not viable as a terrorist. If you diluted, diluted it in coffee and made someone drink a little bit of it, would it kill them? No, but it would make their gout feel better. Oh right, well, yeah. he probably swam home then. <laughs> Quite well. <laughs> maybe, maybe when they, you know, they're trying to make, maybe they think Anthony Perkins is suffering from gout. If they make him calm down a bit, they'll go, I'm so sorry, everyone. It was just the gout making me a terrorist. Uh, but yes, they discuss the poisons at this point, setting yes. a little And she says, I can speak to the captain and get the key off of him because he's the only one with the key to the poison cupboard. Yes, he had the poison cupboard. And then meanwhile, we cut back yeah. to uh, George Bay. No, it's the Prime Minister, who's a, a lady. Yeah, have we had that? No, we haven't had, we haven't had one of my favourite things. Oh, go on. Which is uh, when they find out about the uh, hijacking, it goes to the Lord Privy Seal's office. Yes. Now, I can't imagine something more American than going, well, let's see, who, who get the call? Secretary of State for Defence? Yeah, that's logical. Mm. You know, anti-terrorist command, that'd be logical, but Lord Privy Seal. Now that sounds real British. Yeah. <laughs> and they choose that and they go, Lord Privy Seal here. Oh my goodness. Why would anyone let the Lord Privy Seal, which is, I believe, a uh, position in state which is entirely, it's a sinecure, it's no, you know, no, no real power to it anymore, not since the days of them actually having a Privy Seal. Yeah. It is a pointless position and yet they use this as apparently they're the chief person to be told when things have been terrorised. Are they told when things go up and up and up and down and up and down? <laughs> <laughs> They're told everything. Yeah. Lord Privy Seal's office, marvellous. Flying machines, yes. Yeah. It's great. Magnificent. But yeah, um, Mr. Mr. Tipping, the Lord Privy Seal. Mr. Tippy. Get me, get me the Prime Minister's office. Yeah. Marvellous. Yeah, and the Prime Minister's a woman. Yeah, a woman. Yeah. I thought to myself at the time, this is very... Fo- oh, no, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister then. So yeah, I thought sense. they were maybe... Yeah, they could have gone the whole hog and done the impression. Got Janet Brown in yeah. again from Fear Eyes Only. And so then she said, what are we going to do? We don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. Fact. Yeah, and the, but there's a great... She's sitting in her chair and there's a great moment because she's surrounded by... Old men. By old men. Mm. You don't realise how many until all the exposition in the scene, which is it's quite a heavy exposition scene, mm. every line of exposition pops up another old man to say a line. You never see them again. Yeah. It's almost like, oh, this is going to sound really expository. If we divide it up between 12 old men, <laughs> we'll get away with this. Yeah. It works. It is. It's great. It's not as awkward as the oil rig advert from earlier on. <laughs> no. But again, they mentioned the, it would cost uh, 15,000 million, million to replace. Yeah. And she says that that's core to the defence budget. Yeah. Which, that's a lie. It's, no, not. it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not. No. The defence budget's nowhere near that. 20 quid. It was about, back then, it's only about 40 billion these days. So. Yeah. But, you know, it sounds great. 15,000 million pounds sounds made up, though. There was the British billion hmm. and the American billion. Right. And a British billion was a million million. Right. Whereas an American billion is a thousand million. Oh, right. So we'd have still said thousand million, whereas the Americans would have said 15 billion. And that's now the global standard is a billion is a thousand million. Every day is a day of school here. But that's, yeah, that's why they say it. So it sounds really weird, but that's how we used to refer to millions and billions in this country. Because so they're idiots. Deci- yeah, they are. They're really yeah. So they decide what we're going to do. Well, they, they think about what they're going to do. They're going to send in the army, the Navy, sorry. Well, they do say, they say, you know, surely we've got something to cover this. They go, no, you know, there's a, we haven't a, well, you know, what hates to be a nerd about these things. But yes, the, the British Armed Forces do have a dedicated oil rig protection. SAS. Well, no, actually, it was the SBS, the Special Boat Service. But he does mention the SAS, doesn't uh, he? They mention the SAS, yeah, but the, the <laughs> sorry, I know this. No, I really, please, please. I do know this. That's this why is, you're here. This is nerd a mm-hmm. 
Up till around this time, actually, it was the preserve of what was known back then as the Special Boat Squadron, which used to be the Special Boat Section of the Royal Marines, then became the Special Boat Squadron, and in the late 80s it became the Special Boat Service, which is the sister service to the Special Air Service, the SAS. Mm. But around this time in Britain, they handed it over to what is now known as, I think it's something called the Royal Marine Fleet Protection Group, and was known back then as either 4-3 Command or Camacho Company, that was dedicated to protecting Britain's strategic missiles up at Fans Lane at the Polaris base at the time, and also to maritime counterterrorism. So they were trained specifically to deal with oil rig hijackings, because North Sea oil having come online in the 70s, 70s being a big time for terrorism with the, uh, not the Red Hand Gang. <laughs> that's, that's a good show. <laughs> the Red Brigade, not the Red Hand Gang. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just thinking about the Red Hand Gang yeah, trying not, to take yeah, over all The Red Brigade, I think of the Baden-Meinhof Gang, you know, remember those, mm. those crazy kooks? No, no, hang on, that's not a kid's show. So we actually did have dedicated, <laughs> fully trained maritime terrorism forces. So when she goes, we haven't got anything to do with this, you do. You've got several hundred quite highly trained people who can yeah. do this. But no, no. Let's ask Roger Moore. So then they watch basically what is someone's YouTube <gasps> video of them doing their own kung fu. It's awesome, isn't it? It's like it's a bit of you've been framed. Yeah, because you get the big fat bloke standing on top of the scaffolding. Another fat bloke comes along and pushes him over. It's, Roger Moore has the the laziest fight in the history of lazy it's fighting. Awful. Yeah. A bloke we, raises an arm to him and he just shoves him backwards off. Yeah. If you punch someone in a film and they fall over, in film language that means they're dead. In this, he pushes someone in the sea. Yeah. And then walks off. They can still get out and come back yes particularly if you've taken over their oil rig yes but as we'll find out when the actual assault happens Roger's not bothered about details like that <laughs> no he is not Roger does some pretty shabby shit it later his on own men. but then we find out that the people are participating in this video they say are these are his own men and he says no it's a local judo club yes. They've been trained to express resistance, sir. It's loads of kids yeah. <laughs> going after school and getting pushed in the water by grown fat men. It is. I've got a green belt. <laughs> I'll do. A, I'll do a leg sweep. And then to put the cap on this video, yeah. he finishes pushing a fat bloke in the water, comes down and drinks some scotch. But it, with the great thing of Harris <laughs> to his first, in, his you know his second in command, Harris, and Harris provides the whiskey. So presumably Harris has done an anti-terrorist assault on a vessel while carrying a two-liter bottle of scotch. <laughs> Oh, God. Do you think he's scuba tanks? One's oxygen, one's scotch. <laughs> <laughs> so he's getting a mixture of both. He's got different mm. hand signals. Oh, no. Oh, Mr. Folks is running out of scotch. He's going to be bloody cross. <laughs> what if he's going to drown? Oh, he's not bothered about that. It's just the scotch. But also, poor Harris is going to be really detectable because a sloshing bottle's a really big sound. Yeah. We know it's going to be sloshing because Moore's taking squigs regularly. <laughs> What I love is you've got, you've got the entire, you know, you've got the Prime Minister, you've got the Chiefs of all the armed services there, you've got the, the Secretary of State for Defence, you've got really important people, and then mm. watching, like you say, a YouTube video, effectively, of a slightly shabby, lazy old man and his fat frogmen taking out some underage judo fanatics, and then slugging back the whiskey, mm-hmm. and they go, yeah, he seems like the right guy for the yeah, job. definitely. Lloyds will pay for it, though, so I guess it's there. This is via Lloyd's, isn't it? Unless, unless you see... Well, I mean, you know, here's the theory. Maybe there's another cut of the film where George Baker is actually some evil man on the inside and he's shorted Lloyd's stock. But it would make sense. And if sense. they go down, he's going to take loads of money. So he's it would make the sense. worst people. Because of what you said earlier, I want you to prepare for an oil yes. hijack. We'll get there, but as an ending, that would be a more satisfying end. Right? It would, wouldn't it? We'll have to... But we don't get that. And then we meet remake G- it. James Mason. An <gasps> James Admiral. Mason. That's quite an old admiral who pauses yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot in his... 
lines because you get brilliant. the feeling he's forgotten it. He's awesome. James Mason is convinced <sighs> by watching this video that this is the man for them. I, do you know what? I'm not sure he is convinced. No, he's really not convinced. Because he then spends the next sort of hour of the film being really tetchy with Roger Moore mm. and it's brilliant. Mm. You know, a bit later he gets offered the whiskey and where Mr. Tipping, the Lord Privy Seal, says, oh no, thank you very much. Mm. James Mason goes, no. He gets really cross. Yeah, yeah. He's just rude and it's, it's a lovely undercurrent. So they basically agreed to give this rescue gig to a, pi- a pissed darts team. <laughs> to a pissed <laughs> and they are all they got the call and Roger Moore's turned to them and goes oh bloody hell they've called our bluff <laughs> oh, I better shit. go build that scaffold oh, guys. to show them I know what I'm doing yes. and at this point we find out his name is Rufus Excalibur folks with two F's with two F's yeah because that makes him proper posh every time I hear that though it makes me think of carry on don't lose your head <laughs> so James's like character is called Sir Rodney Effing with two F's oh really yeah that's funny I might get that wrong sorry that is... he definitely says with two F's every time someone says his name which predates this so they must have been inspired or just stole it yeah Rufus, uh, Rufus Excalibur folks is again it's Roger expanding his his acting and his name yeah I can, I can play someone with a middle name yeah he never goes the names Bond no James Harold Phoebe the third Bond. I want to know what the scenario might have been to have given someone your child the middle name Excalibur it's not it's not very hippie-ish is it no. Excalibur's not a hippie-ish no, thing no 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 so he obviously seems to come from some sort of Scottish gentry but Excalibur's very much a Celtic yeah Welsh or Cornish and or an English but it's Celtic really Mm. probably Welsh myth so what is the reason for that it was conceived in the lake that would be it so yeah. then uh, James James Mason turns James up to Mason. see them all training and then we hear the immortal line from Rufus you whacked those stairs like a dinner gong do it again and I'll have your balls for breakfast we do it is one of the great great lines and it, there's another version of the film where you see him eating that man's balls is there yeah director's yeah. cut wonderful it was a little bit too fruity for British cinema in 1980 sweet meats and he, but he eats them raw wow just eats them raw a little bit of Tabasco on for them for breakfast yeah and watch down with Scott uh, and then the, the uh, Lord Privy says of Excalibur he says he's an odd fellow <laughs> Does, which is, you know, putting it mildly. He's a fucking lunatic, let's well, be honest. But also, James Mason does that, and he's got some naval assistant with him who suddenly seems to know all about these guys and goes, oh, I've watched them at sea loads of times. They're really, really good. Yeah. Well, but, but then you haven't because no. no one knows who they are. You've just no. seen the video and, and they're patently not really good. No. How do we see, is there a scene where Rufus Excalibur folks slips him a tenor and goes, just tell James Mason this. It makes us look good, mate. Yeah. And how they built a massive scaffolding mock-up of the ship in yeah. the three hours since they got the call yeah now sorry but this was britain in 1980 and somewhere in scotland it was hard to get a scaffolder in london mm. let alone we didn't have those amazing teams of polish scaffolders who look more like cirque de soleil the way you've, if you've seen them putting up scaffolding they can do it in about 40 minutes yeah that would take a british scaffolder of the 70s and 80s about five days but no not for not for rivers this caliber folks and they, they, they it's doing the very weird training exercise where they're going he's stopping them again harris man on forward focus do you see him yes sir so, so what? I don't yeah. know how that's meant yeah, to Yeah, he keeps help. getting them to stop and crouch. Yes. Stop and crouch. It's like, if you're going to be there when the terrorists are there shouting at us, we're going to get caught pretty quickly, <laughs> yes. I must say. Also, no, note, Roger Moore is not doing any of the climbing. No. He's standing there. Standing, yeah. The most he's doing is clicking a stopwatch. Yeah. And even that, I think if you look carefully, you can see a hand double. It's a stunt hand. Because he was tired. Really, really tired. tired. He'd just done Moonraker. Yeah, I think, isn't this the point where he offers, yeah, he offers James Mason the scotch. Time for a drink. This is a bit early, isn't it? It's four hours since breakfast. 
it's quite late. And I sort of live my life by that mantra. Four hours from breakfast is a time to drink. And that's why I set my alarm and quite often have breakfast at three in the morning. <laughs> so that comes seven when I'm up with the kids. Daddy, what are you drinking? It's cider, darling. Cider before lunch. We all know that. Keeps a man healthy and whatever. Just yes. go and play Minecraft. Keeps his children bearable. And then you get this wonderful moment. Have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy? I have, yeah. You know the bit where there's a running joke that Drax can't deal with metaphors? Yes, Folks does that here because James Mason says to him, I hear your men can do this or whatever, he says, with their eyes blindfolded. Mm. And he says, if they're blindfolded. Well, he said, yes, yes. If any of mine went about this blindfolded, I'd gouge their eyes out. Yeah. Well, but no, but that's the same effect, but yeah. permanently. <laughs> I would remove their blindfold and make them do it properly. Is the correct response from Physics yeah. Caliber? He's, he's a hilarious ass, basically. He really is. He's incredibly rude. He is. And then he says, we drink scotch here as it should be drunk. Neat, and I've put, and all the time. And usually out of a large bottle. Yeah. And scaring Angela Thorne on the train. Yeah. Yes, and James Mason does the, one of his great pulling a face of, oh, I've got to work with this arsehole. And then he says, I like cats, and I don't like people who don't. Yes. And if I was James Mason, I'd go, I heard cats. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, he should be living in a caravan. Maybe. Again, there's another cut of this film where you, the camera just slowly tracks in on a drunk Roger Moore on a caravan floor surrounded by empty whiskey bottles. Mm. And the whole thing takes place in his head. And then at the end, you pull back to reveal the caravan's on fire and the camera just pulls away and away and away. And that's it the end. It makes sense of the film because it's everything he, he doesn't do anything yeah. and everything works out like a drunk fantasy would. It does, it does yeah. Well, I'll probably be able to take this oil rig quite easily just by <laughs> fucking everything up. Oh, I have. Brilliant. That's exactly how the film works. And I got to drink loads of Scotch yes. while I did it. And also there's a, there's a great bit where he talks about his, uh, the spear guns the boys have got. And he says, completely silent apart from the squelch and hitting flesh. Now, I seem to remember on the training video, and you see earlier here, thwang, twack. Yeah. <laughs> it makes loads of noise. And him shouting at them all. Yeah. So then they get on the helicopter and then we get the wonderful scene mm. where he offers them scotch. He does while getting out his, his uh, cat embroidery. His cat embroidery. Or as, as Lord Privy Seal says, oh, do you enjoy petit point? But I heard that as petit point. So did I. And I thought, what? so why is he asking about peas? Yeah, yeah, I thought that. I had to wind it back and listen to it again. And then he says, no, I find it incredibly boring. Yes, but it helps me think. Apart from when people are talking to me. And also, earlier he's revealed he's been working on the same thing for 17 years. 17 years, years yeah. What a lazy idiot also, he's got that bit when they, they get into the helicopter and he goes, I hope there's enough room in this thing because otherwise one of you will be sitting on the floor. Yeah. He's just rude. Yeah. I think mean, he's just a misogynist. I think he's a misanthropist. I think he hates everyone. Yeah. Well, he turns up on a moped. Yes, looking like his own he's, uniform, didn't he? Looking like he's a strippergram. He does. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there's, you know, James... Because he's got the hat on backwards as well, like he's doing Officer and a Gentleman. He has. It does look a bit like that, doesn't it? And you kind of expect James Mason to go, Leslie Phillips, going, ding dong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, we've missed a bit because uh, they phone ahead to Anthony Perkins and say, we're coming in by helicopter. And he says, I didn't give anyone permission to land on Jennifer. Oh, yes. How are you expecting people to get there? Yeah. How are you going to get your money? Do you think they're going to swim? Maybe that's what Perkins wants. Everyone to swim there. Yeah. In synchronised swimming way. oil rig, you'd have to climb all the way to the top. A helicopter's Quite the best way. way to get on an oil rig. Yeah. He's a terrorist, but he's also stupid. He's an idiot. I think, again, he might be a drunk. Yeah. That we don't see him drinking, but he might be a drunk. And they might have just been in the pub. And he goes, yeah, I tell you what, this would be fun. Let's, mm. let's do an oil rig. <laughs> and then they're there going, oh my God, we're getting away with this. We are so getting away with this. <laughs> But then cut back to the helicopter, as we were talking about. They then start talking about their plan yeah. of sending in the divers. Yes, to go and uh, defuse the mines. And which Roger spurts out with, damn silly thing to do. Yes, he does, doesn't he? And James Mason gets snippy with him. Mm. And then he says something like, uh, would you care to discuss the statistics of bomb disposal expert survival? Well, naval or otherwise. Yes, naval or otherwise. Well, you know what? They're pretty good, actually. Yeah. These guys are really good at their job. Yeah. And I've met 
and worked with some, not in the military sector, but I met and worked with in TV things, uh, people who worked in bomb disposal, they all seem to be alive. They seem to have rendered safe hundreds of devices. And they don't send videos of themselves doing it. <laughs> no, they're not idiots. What he's doing is he's assuming that naval divers are all as drunk and incompetent as himself. He's got this complex that I'm the best at everything in the world, and he knows secretly he's a bit shit. Yeah. So everyone else must be really shit. Mm. Whereas actually, it's the other way around. So then they land on the oil rig, and he gives the instruction to walk calmly. Yes, because presumably that means they can be seen. But, but I was they thinking, can't they be. can't be seen. No. Because there's three of them, and then when they get there and, and Anthony Perkins rings them up, he and says, goes, no, no, there's only two of us. Yeah, he goes, how many have you landed? And he makes a gesture to say, don't say about him. Yeah, don't say that tipping the Lord Privy Seal's coming. You think, yeah. why? Would that make any difference? But he meets a woman as well. <gasps> there's a woman And he board. says, women's yes. liberation, a gigantic step backwards. Yes. Do you have females on this vessel? Yes, because he doesn't represent women, he represents them as females, yeah. which makes him sound quite like the dad in Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> Any females, boys? Any females? <laughs> oh, my goodness, he's channeling Rufus' caliber, folks. Yeah. Yes, she says, yes, there are eight of us. We're making quite good strides in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, she's feisty. She's up to him, but not for long enough. Ah, yeah. but then there's also, there's the other terrible bit of sexism in it, I think. Mm. It's a line where Felix Leiter, where Mr. King, they say, um, how many people know about this? And he says, seven, including my secretary. Oh, yeah. Like, why do you have to say that? Just say eight. seven. Or, yeah. Or yeah, or eight if it means you know plus percentage. It's like why why single her out because they're all misogynists. Yeah, it's a terrible misogynist film. Well, nineteen eighty was a bad time for women. Mind you, this is a step forward for Andrew McLaughlin because the Wild Geese. There are no women That's, and it's racist as well. There is one woman, but she's a pain in the ass because she doesn't. Oh, want Oh yes, yes, she doesn't want to go. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so and then so. they just you know they dealt with the misogyny by there just being no women and oh and there's a woman in the nightclub who uh, gets beaten up so uh, that's fine oh, yes, of course. and that's uh, the producer's daughter Rosalind Lloyd yeah Ewan Lloyd's uh, daughter who turns up in only his films because mm. she plays uh, Lewis Collins' wife in Who Dares Wins oh, another yeah. Ewan Lloyd film so then we cut back to oh, and also folks at this point tells them don't ring for an hour but this is the sort of bit of the film that we're about halfway through the film you know they've taken everything and you think it's getting quite exciting and now we get into about 45 minutes of them just having phone calls mm. and sitting there waiting yep. and saying we can't get the money we need a bit more time oh you can't have any more time get the money and that seems to happen for about 30 minutes as far as action there's like two action scenes for the rest of the film now and it, they're very not very good and, and most of this rest, middle section of the film Roger Moore sits on a sofa doing his tapestry yeah. and insulting women yeah that's like you know he's we've captured sort of maybe it's like is Jim that Nigel H- Farage's life it's like Jim Davidson's ideal Sunday <laughs> Davidson's ideal Sunday <laughs> so then we oh. come back to the oil rig yeah. and the captain realises now things have gone too far so he's hatched a plan he, he he remembers what she said earlier about one of the keys to the poison. Yes, cupboard. that's right. And he asks his mate to go and get his pipe. Yes, he does the hilarious uh, patting his. Let uh, me get pockets. my pipe yes. for me. What's that, Captain? You lost your car keys. Yes, yeah. Because Anthony Perkins. I mean, he's not just a villain. He's a funny villain. Yeah. He thinks he's funny. Is he good in this? Well, it's one of the great. I always think when I watch Anthony Perkins in anything that I think of it, not of Psycho although he's brilliant in that yeah. I think of him as the chaplain the padre in Catch-22 yes where he's lovely and sweet and wonderful and you compare that to Psycho and those are his early films this is a great actor with great range and then he wasn't allowed to do anything other than be Psycho basically yeah how many Psycho sequels did he do was it four I think there were four I think weren't yeah. there? or three sequels so four films yeah, total sorry, yeah. and he's in this and I read somewhere that both him and Roger Moore did this to get away from typecasting and you go, well, Roger Moore's playing basically a very lazy shit version of James Bond. Yeah. And Anthony Perkins is playing a very shit version of, you know, the guy in Psycho, uh, Norman Bates. He'd yeah. nail this hijacking. He would. This is a guy who convincingly kept his mum yeah. <laughs> in his house when she was dead. Yeah. He would nail the hijacking. Mm-hmm. But Perkins is playing a shit version of himself. Yeah. I think he is good in it. Yeah, he's okay. 
I feel like it's one of those moments where you think, oh, that actor would have been better. Yeah, maybe. He's not, he doesn't seem hard enough for me. I, thought, I mean, I like him in it, but I think it's just I kind of like Anthony Perkins. I've always felt sorry for him because he doesn't get to do anything other than play Psycho. So when yeah. I see him do this, I like him. There's also one thing about his character. He's very calm. <coughs> and there's a, bit, he, a couple of times in it, he takes a pill. Yes. Which is never mentioned. No. But what I've noticed is that not long after he takes the pill he starts shouting for the first time because up to then he's really calm. So I can only conclude that he's thinking, I'm being a bit too nice and he has to take some angry pills. Or maybe it means he doesn't get pregnant. Ah, yes, because yeah. Harold with those glasses yeah. is oozing, yeah. oozing fertility. He is. He could even impregnate a man. <laughs> so then we get the uh, crew to say, right, we're going to go and get the poison. Yeah. And then our man, Mr Herring, says, I'll go and get it for you. Yes, because I'm a sick person and yeah. sick people are allowed to go to the hospital. Not, usually, not necessarily well, yeah, true. Usually a doctor not would go on your behalf. people seasickness. Yeah. You don't mm. get to go to... I'm also, what? I'm just imagining a massive hospital on board the ship, just at the back. You come in and go, well, I thought you were just seasick. Uh, no, I've got cancer. I need to go and get some medicine. <laughs> I need to go and walk into an episode of Holby City. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so he, he goes off and says, I'll do it. And then they say, oh, hang on, he might be evil. Yes, I, d- I didn't think he had it in him. And then they decide that, oh, he's probably evil, that's why he's decided to go. But mm. was he? Well, he's on their side, because we discover that, don't we, later, yeah. that he's on the side of the hijackers. And they decide that no one could have got access to the ship that quickly without being dodgy. And so they go and get him. But it feels like a red herring that, oh, sorry, he's Terry Herring. But it does feel like they've been rather unfair on him until it turns out he was in cahoots with them. But then why but didn't he just tell the guard outside what was exactly, going on? Exactly, that's my point. Why was he going to get the poison when he could have just said, look, they're trying to poison you, look? It's all a bit weird. And then they do put him in the cupboard with yeah. a gag over his mouth. And this is yeah. a man who's been vomiting a lot. He's yeah. going to die. Yeah, it's Jimi Hendrix. He's going to choke again. on his own vomit yeah. in a very unrock style. This is what happened to Jimi Hendrix. It was. He's trying sick. to warn people about them being poisoned. Yeah, guys, I'm going to get the poison covered. <laughs> Yes, no, it is very weird that they just let him go. And then they decide that... They instantly decide that he's he's a traitor. Yep, and they put and him it, in the cupboard. And you get the great... But they you get the great bit where they go, come with me, and Sana mm. puts her hat on yeah. to go. I'm not sure why. I think it's all setting up the joke later yeah, where well, Roger Moore thinks she's a boy, um, which is kind of weird. And she does that <laughs> tremendous bit of bad acting mm. that's good acting because she's being a, someone pretending to act bad again going, come on Peter you have to help me with the supplies I can't be expected to do it all myself yeah. and they go off and the Japanese guy with the Uzi in the opposite it is an Uzi he stands there and he comes out and looks at them and he goes uh, we're going to, and he says oh that's right I'll just let them wander off to the kitchen you know yeah. remember kitchens are a very dangerous place with knives and frying pans and things which mm-hmm. are deadly weapons but that's fine then he steps back into his doorway and they just sneak back and go up the stairs yeah. he's a terrible guy these terrorists awful. are awful awful just awful and they find Terry Harry and catch him the bloke goes to the poisons cupboard to get the coachazine coachal what it coachal is that yeah thing. but while they're doing that while but, he's doing that but Anthony Perkins has gone for a poo yeah and he's just come out and he sees him yeah but he doesn't let on he closes no. the door again which must be horrible for him that is a bit rubbish isn't it second hand poo smells not good <laughs> well I'm glad to be out of there oh I've got to duck back in again <laughs> oh why did I see the guy with the poison <laughs> Could have been out of here. But Could have been the perfect crime. <laughs> but, then, but, then, but then rather than confronting the guy and getting his gun out and stopping things there, he makes mm. an elaborate pantomime of it and waits till they poison the coffee pot. Yeah. And he goes, hey, guys, why don't you have a cup of coffee with us? And they go, uh, no, it, it's all right. We've already had some. Which isn't uh, a very good reason to not have more. Exactly, because there's always a reason to have more coffee. Yeah. And he goes, oh, just to show there's no hard feelings. Yeah, you've, you've hijacked their ship and killed one of their friends. Yeah. And there are going to be hard feelings, mate. There's going to be hard feelings. You killed Derek Dedman, <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> and 
Sana does the uh, dashing the cup from his hand so he doesn't have to drink it yeah. and runs out and gets yeah. chased into the rain and they force the guy to drink a whole pot of coffee that's laced with this drug and she in inverted commas jumps into the sea yes obviously finds something to throw in that looks a bit like her a shoe wasn't it a shoe that was floating in the sea her dead twin she's been carrying around for yeah. this opportunity yeah. I, I don't know no but so, fools the guy with the moustache he comes back and says she jumped overboard yeah and then they give this coffee to this man who presumably cured his gout yeah and they toss him in the sea. I think, you know, for that to be poisonous, over half that coffee would have to be that, that drug. We never see him again. No, he's just chucked off. What is it Anthony Perkins called him? Blue eyes. Yeah. Cold. It is cold. And they and they, they, the captain gets knocked out. Oh, yeah. They yeah, take yeah. out Jack Watson. And then later, they, they he mocks me and he goes, and he goes say, that's a nasty cut you got there, Captain. And Harold does another one. He's, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny, Anthony Perkins. Not nice. He loves Lou. And then we go back to Rog, who says, right, we're, we're going uh, to blow up uh, Ruth. And he still hasn't moved. He's on the same sofa still he's been sofa. in for about 20 minutes now. It's obviously an idea he had while he was embroidering. Because that's where he gets all his ideas. We're going to blow up Ruth and make it look like we did it. And I'm thinking, but you did do it. So I don't understand <laughs> this plot. Well, they're putting up the fake explosion just over the horizon, aren't they? Yeah. But yes, doesn't... Yeah, the Lord Prince like, why on earth would we do that? And what I love is that Roger Moore says all these things and comes across as a, a genius. But he's only just because everyone else is a clear idiot going, why would we do that? Rather than going, oh, good idea. It'll make them think it's blown up, which is the mm. obvious thing to think. And, um, he's, and he does an anti-Brexit speech because he says, let the three youngest go. The oldest have had their time. Oh, that's right. He does when they're, yeah. And then James Mason says to him, I suppose you're one of those fellows that does the Times crossword in 10 minutes. I have never taken 10 minutes. <laughs> it's just one of the great lines, isn't it? This, thing, this film is littered with lines that are actually pretty good. Oh, dear. Like, there's a line earlier where he goes, how do we do so? And they're training, he goes, like a bunch of ploughmen at a knitting convention. <laughs> and you go, that's insane, but brilliant. <laughs> I put it as one of them then goes, we're improving then, sir. Yep. Oh, you cheeky chaps. Yeah. Can we go now? Can we go now? <laughs> what, what, what are his other range of insults? Though? I haven't seen like my children. Like a bunch of welders <laughs> at a pumpkin growing meeting. <laughs> what? I wanted to see my son go to school. Can I go home now? <laughs> been here for 10 years. You know, this man with the perfect mind does seem to be making up as he goes along. Like, oh, I've been doing a bit of embroidery. Let's, let's pretend we're blowing the oil rig up, doesn't it? Probably just a way for him to get some more scotch. <laughs> yeah. I think better drunk. But then he gets really angry because Ruth explodes. Yeah. And he turns away to go back to his sofa, and a bloody woman's asleep on his cat. That's right. Yes, yeah. She's having two a things. Nap. Two things he hates. She's women. besmirching cats. Yeah, and it's just she. He's livid about that. I mean, she's lucky to be alive. So yeah, Ruth explodes. Yeah. Then he decides this is a good time. Oh, obviously Anthony Perkins freaks out about this. And yeah. He's falling well within Folks' plan at this point. Yeah, and he gets very cross because uh, James Mason hangs up on him. Yes, just as he, he explodes. Hung up on me. Yeah. Can't say I blame him. Then Roger suddenly stands up and goes, right, I'm going to teach you a distraction. Like he's the artful dodger on Fagan. <sighs> oh, yes. It, this, is, this, is, this, to me, is the iconic thing. Mm. Is James Mason going, cigarette, Kramer? Mm-hmm. And doing the tapping the cigarette out. And yep. it's something, I think I mentioned in my email to you, talking about this, that I was obsessed with this. Yeah. And I've never smoked, but people who smoked, friends of mine at university, I do it all the time. <laughs> Just do it again. Cigarette, and then not their cigarettes on the floor. And it turned out not as many people were au fait with North Sea Hijack no. as I thought. And so people just got really cross with me. Yeah. Whereas I thought I was being brilliant. And then... Um... But also he, he does this... Sorry, I'm sorry. No, he, no. he says, you know, I'm going to teach you this trick. And James does it and he goes, looks easy, but under pressure, could you pull it off in 10 seconds flat? 
yeah? yeah it really is easy. it doesn't look easy it is easy it's easy you just have to knock some cigarettes on the floor <laughs> it's not you know and then he says this plan he's obviously just come up with it he goes at 12.40 exactly yes. when you drop these cigarettes I shall kill him yeah it's brilliant isn't it where's this come from from the tapestry it's made him think uh, okay. it, is, it is a drunkard's plan isn't it yeah it is if I say something very specific like 12.40 it'll be really convincing and then Anthony Perkins says I think it's him if it hadn't happened already in 12 seconds I'd be doing oh, yeah. this but Roger Moore has brilliantly said to James Mason, give him a call now because it's coming up to nine o'clock yeah. to distract him from maybe pressing the button because they've gambled that having seen the thing supposedly blow up, they won't check by pressing the button, which and I then, would. All terrorists do that. Yeah, and then when he speaks to Anthony Perkins, Anthony Perkins changes the plan slightly, doesn't he? Does he? What does he do? He Well, he makes another threat and then Roger Moore says, I don't like him changing my plans. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, Perkins is getting quite cross by now. He's mm. starting to lose the plot a little bit. Well, isn't this when James Mason tells him that the money's going to be 11 o'clock now rather than 10? Yes. So obviously they keep moving the deadline. Hasn't he got a great line of something like, I honestly think you have no idea how banks work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. And then folks comes up with a plan. And again, off the top of his drunken head. Yeah, I'm going to dress up as a... Oh, well, we were already dressed up. He's as already a, dressed up as, yeah. as the Admiral's flank lieutenant. We're going to go on a helicopter over mm. to the oil rig and give him. He thinks we're going to give They're going to go as extra hostages. Yeah. And they always want to get on board, but Anthony Perkins invites them on board, That's which right. says they have to talk their way on board. Yes. But also, he's, he's also. Roger Moore has spoken to him because mm. the Admiral's not available because he's upset because of the naval divers who supposedly died. Mm. And this is where. This is the real start of his rubbishness. Mm. He's just about. Yeah, his plan's kind of working. Yeah. But now he's, he's kind of needlessly antagonistic to Anthony Perkins. Yes. And is a bit rude to him. So when they go over to the ship, he just makes it worse by staring at him and doing, giving him death stares. Going, really staring basically at him. Basically going, I'm going to fucking take you down. I'm going to fucking take you down. And then it's surprised when Anthony Perkins goes, I don't want you on the ship. Go yeah, away. You're weird. But before he goes, he says to the lady secretary that uh, I want you to phone at 0032, which is 1232. Oh, yes. And yeah. basically mansplains her. Yes, she does. He's like the ultimate mansplainer. She does a lot of good eye rolling acting. It's a pretty thankless part. Horrible. But she, you know, she at least manages to do something slightly grumpy yeah but yeah Perkins says to him I don't like you flag you're bad news I don't like your face which is horrible <laughs> someone said that to you you'd be really upset I mean yeah you don't like me but it was saying I don't like your face clearly Roger Moore very handsome man very handsome you've got a lovely beard no one else would have started the knitwear modelling if they weren't that handsome well exactly oh. so James Mason gets taken along with the other hostages Mason and just Mason and, and just Mason and ah you got that great Roger Moore puts a tiny pistol Oh, in his hat. In his hat. Yeah. Assuming they're not going to search his hat, which they don't. Even though when he's coming down on the helicopter, I'm pretty sure you can see quite an obvious pistol-shaped lump in his hat. Can. You definitely <laughs> it's can. just rubbish. Yeah. But you would you search a hat, though? You wouldn't, would you? I would. Would you? Yeah. After seeing this, though. Yeah. Terry Herring. Terry Herring. Says, I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore. I want you to go. You don't need me anymore, Lou. I've done my bit. I've done my bit, yeah. You're you can, right, you've done your bit. You can you can have my share, you can split my share. I'm getting oh. tiny and weird. <laughs> I'm feeling quite scared and I'm shrinking every moment. And then he says, yeah, you can go. And then he gets on the weird sort of net thing. Yeah, which they've been ferrying people in and out on. And with Rog, and then as they're flying away... <gasps> he gets shot. Terry Herring gets shot it's dead. It's very cruel. Poor Terry Herring. <laughs> and then she, he, Rog comes back and meets the secretary, and the secretary, she says, I thought you knew everything, Mr. Folks. Yes. And he says, how typical of a woman to make a remark like that at a time like this. Which is a terrible put-down of someone who's basically gone, Oi, you smug bastard, I'm calling you on the fact you don't know what you're on about. Yeah. Which he doesn't. You're making this up as you go along, literally. <laughs> he really is. And then he has another brainwave, right, I'm going to phone the Prime Minister and say to her, 
drop a bomb on the yes, old rig. Yes. It's twenty to one. Yeah. You don't hear from me. If you don't hear from me by uh, you know, if I don't fire a very light in the sky, yeah. then drop a bomb. Now then he puts the phone down mm. and this is this is classic. This is a drunk man making up as he goes. He goes, yeah. get on the diving section, get me a wetsuit and a very light. Mm. He didn't check they got them available. <laughs> Oh, we don't carry those. Oh, I better call the Prime Minister back. You know, I just... uh, when I said a fairy light, I meant, you know, if you see me throw a sandwich <laughs> or something. Throw a pen. A pen in the air. So then we get this uh, exposition about why he hates women. And it has a great line where he goes, both my parents died tragically in childbirth. Yeah. Which is, where's that from? That's a funny line. Is this where Excalibur comes from? They drowned in that lake. <laughs> it's really weird. Both yeah. Now you go, is he just taking the piss? Yeah. It's a really weirdly great yeah, line. Really weird. Oh, we have missed one of the great lines, actually. Oh, when James Mason's going mm. onto the vessel as a hostage, mm. the Lord Privy Seal says to him, I take it you want me to let your family know you went voluntarily. And he goes, mm. dear God, no, Sybil thinks I volunteered for it. She'd be furious. That's right. It's like, brilliant. <laughs> and again, in my head, I have this image that he's actually married Sybil Fawlty, who's finally divorced Basil. Oh, goodness, yeah. And has got together with James Mason, and he's just as scared of her as Basil was. And he outranks the Major, doesn't he? <laughs> he definitely outranks the Major. Yeah. To to see India. <laughs> At the Oval. Just just one of my favourite lines of all time. Uh, yes, so, yes, both my parents died in childbirth. Yeah, she was he, raised by a maiden aunt. And he was forced to wear a dress. To the age of five ten. sisters till yeah. he was ten. And then he says that cats are superior. And, and then he got married, and his wife had sisters, and he was expected to look after them. And it just, I think it's just making him come across as a lazy person again. And then you get this point, it's supposed to be a poignant moment where he gives his last will and testament yes. to the secretary saying, I'm leaving everything to my cat. <laughs> yes, he I does. Don't, I don't care, mate. Whatever. And gets him to witness that he's sound of body and mind and shouts at him, we'll do it. And I think that's meant to be a joke. Yeah. That he's clearly not. But he's clearly not. Oh, and he, she brings him a red wetsuit and he's livid. But he doesn't say that. red, does he? He goes, a vermilion wetsuit? What? Yeah. No one says vermilion. No. It's well, Rufus Scalabre folks yeah, does. And then he speaks to Kramer again. And then Kramer says, by the way, I don't like the sound of your voice either. Oh, yeah, he does, yeah. So he didn't like it at all. Yeah. He doesn't know. But, but it's because Roger Moore, when he goes on to think, Rig looks at him like... He might as well hand him a leaflet saying, here is how me and my shit anti-terrorist force are going to try and take you down. <laughs> He's so obviously saying, I'm going to get you. I love a moment in this where he gets in the water in his scuba gear, right? Yeah. And he pops his head out of the water in his red wetsuit, yeah. looks at the boat for a minute, yeah. and then goes back underwater because someone's going to see him in a minute. Yeah. Why do you need to look? How many other boats are there around? Have I got the right? I'm quite drunk. I'm seeing several boats. <laughs> That's what it is. He's just so, so... And has he taken his whiskey with him? Because oh. if this film was really playing it properly, he'd come mm. out of the water, take a slug of whiskey and get back down again. Like he's breathing whiskey. Scotch. Scotch, sorry. Stop oh, saying Scotch. whiskey. Sorry, Scotch. So he comes out of the water and then there's a wonderful moment because he's wearing this red wetsuit. Yeah. He, he sort of slithers up this chain like a sort of lobster that's lost its shell. Yeah, get, to me it always looks like a frog. Yeah. A bad frog or a man with terrible sciatica, which he probably had. Probably had. He's got sort of, sort of awkward bum action going on. Well, you imagine, imagine him going, now look, I spent most of the film sitting down. Down hmm. and saying to Andrew McLaggen, is there a way I could possibly get on board without having to do anything? Hmm. Could I maybe hmm. levitate? <laughs> could they winch me on board? But no, he has to climb the anchor chain and go up there. So then, at uh, this moment, the rest of folks, frogmen. This is again. This is again. The uh, the terrorists have done 
Anthony Perkins has gone, now they're going to try anything now. Try anything. They'll oh. do it now. Yeah. So he sends the two Japanese guys out on deck yeah. and the two American people to wander the ship. And you get some truly amazing shots where the director's clearly gone, now wander around looking like you're on guard. And yeah. these guys are sort of wandering aimlessly up and down, yeah. looking. I mean, they're like the worst terrorists ever. Definitely. And then you get a great bit. They've been told specifically, if they're going to try anything, it's going to happen now. Mm. And one of them goes... It's cold enough to freeze a polar bear's ass off out here. That's it. Why don't I go and make some coffee? Yeah. Yeah, because probably best, you know, when you're expecting maybe an attack to go and make the coffee. You can throw it in someone's face. You could, that's true. They're such bad terrorists. They're really shit. They're as bad as folks frogmen. So then folks, because he's wearing his red wetsuit, gets attacked by one of his own men. Also, remember, what Roger Moore's done at this point, he gets up and he rolls under a lifeboat. Yes. Where he lies there pointing a gun at someone but not moving. Hmm. And he lies there for about eight minutes of film time. Yeah. And you think, again, he's just being lazy. Yeah. Can I do this scene lying down? Yeah. (laughs) I've got a great idea, Roger, about this scene. Right? You're crouched behind the lifeboat. Not crouched, lying. Lying down. I will lie down, Andrew. <laughs> and you will not get me out of there. Is it possible that I could shoot Kramer from lying down here? I've worked it out. It would bounce off there. It'd be like a snooker shot. Um, <laughs> just so lazy. But also, doesn't he, he then, after waiting ages for his moment to move, mm. he backs straight round the corner into one of the guards. Yeah. Because he's an incompetent idiot. Because he's drunk. He's drunk. He's just drunk. I got a little bit confused. It's just like when when you're a teenager and someone asks you your date of birth <laughs> and you can't remember. This because is the hunting terrorist equivalent of that. So he's just he's rubbish. I think he's just drunk. The world is whirling around him and he yeah. can't go around it. But he's saved because Sana comes out of the lifeboat where she's hiding. Yeah. And clonks the well, guy over the head. He's about to be killed. Yeah. I mean, he's, then, really, he's a dead man. Yeah. And she comes out and hits him and he says, "Thanks, boy." Yeah. Thanks, boy. Girl. And then even when she says, "Girl," he goes. You look like a boy. You look like a boy. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I'm a girl. He's in his mad, drunk, misogynistic state. He yeah. cannot, cannot compute no. that a woman has just saved his life. No. Therefore, if she says I'm a woman, he's going to go, you're a boy. <laughs> and he can't, he still won't accept it later. No, lately, no. Well, later it gets very weird. But very, yeah. very weird. Um, so then uh, the frogmen arrive yeah. and they kill the Chinese guys. Uh, the Japanese guys. Japanese, sorry. They kill, they kill them. And they kill them particularly nastily. They stab them in the neck. And yeah. It's just a bit ugly. And Harris comes on board and says, you'll take the guy in the red wetsuit because they don't know folks is on board in the red wetsuit. Yeah. Although, they should work that out. They should. They who's should who's that drunk bloke wandering around? <laughs> who's the, red the drunk, lazy bloke who's just fucked up? That'll, that'll be Rufus Excalibur, mate. <laughs> and anyway, so he t- Harris jumps on him, and he overpowers Harris and throws him over the side of the boat. Harris can't even take an old, drunk man. But f- what you've done there, Rufus, is you've removed one of your heroes from the yeah. scene of the battle. You've re- you have reduced your force by exactly one-sixth. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, he doesn't know this, because it's, it's one of the best jokes in it. Yeah. He's taken out the man who's got... The stun grenades are going to throw in. Yes. Because, again, they're so bad, these people. They're not all armed with stun grenades, because obviously, obviously in war, it's fine. Everyone's fine. It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Harris will never get killed. Yeah. Well, he got thrown overboard, so there are no stun grenades. So the major part of the plot is, of their plan has disappeared. This is like a drunk stag night. It's like <laughs> if you gave someone a kitty for the rest of the night, and he got lost on the tube, yeah. and it's like, oh, no, now we haven't got any money. This is what's yeah. happened. So by sheer luck, Rog manages to get to where Kramer is. Oh, and this is it. At the exact moment where James Mason does his yeah. cigarette Kramer just as he bends down to pick them up Roger appears out of nowhere and harpoons him he does but only after Anthony Beckett's gone you want to give those up Admiral well, it's quite a nice sentiment yeah it is 
But yeah, and Roger harpoons him. And then has the fucking brass balls to say, my plan is completed as planned, naturally. But yes, it does. But also, and it's that great moment. It has, it's a genuinely funny moment because it happens from off when he goes, where's Harris? And someone goes, somebody threw him overboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a genuinely funny moment. <laughs> Brilliantly denying all knowledge of it. He goes, well, you two get on the other side and do this. But yes, you have thrown the most important bit of your plan overboard, you idiot, Roger. And who kills Kramer's giggling friend? I can't remember. Uh, it's his two other other men they both they both fire a harpoon into oh, him as he's going yes he's going for the buttons he's going for yes. the buttons and then he slumps over the sort of wooden ship's wheel yeah I don't think he's actually there until that moment because, I don't think because it, it looks really it looks good yeah <laughs> but it's not there in any shot in uh, any no. scene up to then I think they just went mm, this isn't going to look good you need something to fall on put a ship's wheel yeah and he's just about to get to the buttons and gets harpooned and what, you, what they should do there and what they do now because they could do it with CGI's. His massive eyes would then shrink to normal size because oh, he was dead. He's dead. And it turns out his superpowers have turned to giant X's. <laughs> <laughs> so then Bond. Oh, sorry, not Bond. Then folks. Shit Bond goes. Yeah, goes on this elaborate fucking thing about. Well, I'm going to prove you're a boy by giving you a hot shower. Yeah, because she's freezing. She's takes, freezing. She goes, puts her in the hot shower with her shirt on. With her shirt on, starts, and then touches her boob and starts rubbing her. Yeah. to get her warm. Is this what you do in folks fusiliers? <laughs> I think it's the initiation, right? Yeah. I mean, and Harris is, you know, pretty traumatised by it. Yeah. yeah not only does this man abuse him, he then throws him overboard. Harris is, is still in therapy. Um, so he touches yeah, her he, boob. He touches her and goes, you are a he girl. He says, my God, you are a girl. Even so, a lot of people <laughs> owe you a great deal. And so do I. So it's like he's learned that women are useful. Mm, he's he not hasn't. really, has he? he? Hasn't. No, he's like a sitcom character. going to revert back to the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, it's an extraordinary scene. He gets her into the shower and rubs her. And it's like... Why, you would edit that out, wouldn't you? It's just weird. It doesn't need to be there. Yeah, it's what weird. about give her a blanket? Or just say thanks for yeah. saving my life. Thank you very much. Or she could take off the hat and then you'd go, oh, you are a woman, thanks. Yeah. You don't need to shower her. But meanwhile, he hasn't bothered checking that Anthony Perkins is dead. And he isn't. And he hasn't disconnected the bombs. So Anthony Perkins, with hilarious gurney, I'm dead but trying not to be dead, mm. and I want to blow stuff up acting, Yeah, gradually... Tilts around on his chair yeah. and tries so he's to nailed to the chair at this point by a harpoon. A harpoon, yeah. And the thing I thought, looking back at this, was I quite like his trainers. I was thinking that too. They're real nice seventies, eighties really trainers. Good. Yeah. yeah, that style was around now. I'd buy them. They should be. They should be called North Sea Hijack Anthony Perkins or folks with or a little <laughs> instead of a swish, a bottle of scotch on the side. Folks, and instead of lights in them that light up, little harpoons that come out. Bing. Oh, that's quite beautiful. And his hand comes in and stops him. Uh, Stops him from yeah, playing it Yeah, pulls out the wires. Yeah, pulls out the wires, which would be the first thing yeah. you do. Yeah. And also, then, he didn't check there was, a, you know, there might have been a fail, fail deadly on it. Yeah. So they pull it out and everything blows up. Oh, dear. Oh dear. <laughs> Naturally. But that's it. And then he boasts. He just goes, yeah, did it perfectly. But then Kramer says, I still don't like your face, as his last words. Yeah. Of course you don't. He just killed you. He killed you, yeah. I mean, you know, that could be the handsome face of Roger Moore and you wouldn't like it. So then we get the ending, which is a bit like the end of a naked gun film. It is. Where everybody turns up at his castle. Where's O.J. Simpson? Yeah. To like go, well done, Frank. This is like a naked gun film. This is Frank Drebin yeah. solving a terrorist and incident. Including the crew, who've all been braver and more competent yeah. than him. Harris is basically like Nordberg. He's turned up and he's thrown him over the side because he thinks he's a terrorist. He is. God, he, this is it. This is a naked gun it film. It is a naked gun film. And at the end of that naked gun film where, where he slaps OJ on the back yeah. and he goes down and says, I had that on video and my brother and I, I think, watched that 28 times where we were around it. And each mm. time we laughed harder. Yeah. Because him being thrown off that balcony is one of the funniest bits of physical comedy ever. Yeah. 
and with the hindsight of knowing what OJ's like, it's even funnier. Yeah. That should have been his sentence, to have that done live in prison. Forever. 28 times. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they basically say to him, we were going to give you an award, a medal, money, but you, you, we know you don't want any of them. Oh, I hate all those. They're very like women. <laughs> so they give him three kittens. Yes, in Esther. a box. Yeah, in a, a box. A sealed box. A sealed I, box. I sort of hoped there was a take somewhere. Like, mm, kitten's dead again. <laughs> and the Guys, kittens, we've got to think this through. The kittens are called Esther, Ruth and Jennifer. Yeah. And he looks genuinely touched. Yeah. And then he says, if you'd excuse me, Prime Minister, I think they'd like a saucer of milk. Which is his euphemism for, I'm going to go and have a fiddle with them. Yeah, I've put it here, he's definitely going to fuck them. And I think there was a sequel shot where a still harpooned, bloodied Anthony Perkins crawls up, sees the new Esther, Ruth and Jennifer and goes, I'm going to blow those ones up too. Yeah. And that'll be the sequel, North Sea Hijack 2 or Folks 2. Or North Sea Meow Jack. <laughs> North Sea Meow Jack. Yeah. Well, actually, I suppose the sequel will be Folks with four Fs, maybe. <laughs> that'll work, I don't know. For folks' sake. For, for, for folks' sake. <laughs> that is kind of what I'm thinking through a lot in that film. Yeah. I do think he is incredibly arrogant, incredibly convinced he's going to win, somehow does, by being incompetent, drunk... But luckily the terrorists are just as incompetent. And it's... It's a naked gun film. It is a naked gun film. And yet at the same time, nothing happens in it. It's incredibly boring. The action yeah. starts eight minutes from the end and lasts till four minutes from the end. And he lies down for most of it. He lies down for a lot of it. <laughs> and yet somehow it is still a sort of lovely, comforting film to watch. That was North Sea Hijack. So we've reached the point of the podcast for the quick fire round. Ah. You haven't got a buzzer. No. Okay. But <laughs> these are the questions. So first question. Yep. Mark Evans. Yes. Who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film? I am secretly a massive Timothy Dalton fan. I love The Living Daylights, but I don't think License to Kill is any good. <gasps> and I love Daniel Craig, but I don't think Spectre or Quantum of Solace are any good. So half their films aren't great, so I don't know. Mm. But I think I'm going to go with, I think, uh, I think it's Craig. I love Craig. Okay. I think he's really good. So what's the best Bond film? Uh, there's a bit of me that thinks... Any man of my generation will secretly believe that not just the best Bond film or the best film ever, because they were seen at the right age, is The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm. And for me, it's either The Spy Who Loved Me or The Living Daylights, which I oddly am incredibly fond of as a film. Same. Possibly because I've been to the uh, to Gibraltar just before I saw it. So I really, at the start, I was going, <laughs> I've been there. I've been on that bit. It's great. But I'm going to plump for, I did enjoy Skyfall as well. I'm actually going to go for, I'm going to say The Spy Who Loved Me. I love The Spy Who Loved Me. Marvin Hamlish. Yeah. Bond 77 theme. Yeah. Brilliant. Good stuff. So who, Carly in, Simon. Mrs. Ringo Starr. I think yeah, the Atlantis theme. Yeah, it's great. It is, it is. So who, Joe Jurgens. Sorry, I'll yeah, stop now. That's all right, it's all right. Any more? No. So... <laughs> <laughs> Who is the worst Bond and what is the worst Bond film in your opinion? Oh, the worst Bond, I, I feel cruel because mm. I'm, I'm going to ignore Lazenby yeah. because one film's not fair and he, he's kind of alright. I just didn't go for Brosnan mm. because I felt like he wasn't packing a pistol, he was packing a hairdryer. He, he felt like a no, I don't. I, I don't like Brosnan. I think I think, I think he's I think he's good, but he's my least favourite because okay. he's too soft, too wimpy, and too many really contrived sexual puns. Chris, no, that, all that stuff with Denise Richards is just ugly. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't have the coolness to get away with it like Roger Moore. No. So, and um, what's the worst Bond film then? Oof, One of his, I assume. Um, it might be. But I do remember, it, although it's my, one of my favourite Bond themes, I still think of You to a Kill is a terrible film, unfortunately, because it's Roger being too far gone. But it's got a Sheila Aubergine in it. <laughs> it's got, it's just got, it's got, it's got, RIP. It's, it's got loads of good stuff, but it's just, it's so creaky. Yeah. It's so creaky. Whereas Octopussy, he's just as creaky, but it's silly enough to get away with it. 
Whereas I think A View to a Kill is just a bit too... Oh, I'd say the other way around. And they kill Patrick McNee. They do. Which is ridiculous. In Covey's um, Rolls Royce. But I think... Oh, hang on, I've gone mad. The disappearing, the invisible car one, Die Another Day, yeah. is bonkers. Mm. I think it's that or A View to a Kill for me. So okay. Uh, and who would you have as James Bond next? I would like to say the late Lewis Collins. Mm-hmm. Can I can I have that? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I think the late Lewis Collins would have been a great Bond. Slightly wooden, slightly cool. Like a sort of shit Timothy Dalton. Excellent. Okay, uh, so Bond is full of stupid names like Money yes. Penny, Small Bone and Goodhead. Give me your best Bond lady name now. I would like to put forward Miss Feel Me O Touchmuff. <laughs> Or a Russian killer spy called Ravina Minjovnia. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Uh, so, uh, again, Bond film titles are often silly. Yes. So, uh, give me your best Bond film title that you've just made up Spy, Spy, Spy Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, a hypothetical fistfight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint ah. and James Bond 007. Who wins? Well, if it's more against himself, then that becomes the film The Man Who Haunted Himself, mm. where Roger Moore again does his acting expansion by wearing a moustache. Yes. And it's a very silly film. Yeah. But his film he was most proud of. He said it's his, his best acting film because he got to play two different parts. Oh, of course, yeah. That were both him. Yeah. If the Bond is Craig or Connery, they take out all the saints. Mm. I've done quite a complicated matrix here, if you want to see the okay. possibility. Yeah. Uh, if Brosnan's the Bond, any of the Saints can beat him, including that rubbish new one in the American TV. Oh, God, yeah. Which is... Bleh. I haven't even bothered looking at that. Uh, it's Bond. Bond will win. OK. And finally, you're stranded on a desert island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Well, I think I'd quite quickly choose to eat Sean Connery. Cause well, just as you got there. I think he's a bit difficult, really. Yeah. <laughs> he's a bit of a crotchety, old, annoying man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, great Bond though he was. And, he, you know, he was a great Bond. But if there was golf, he'd be all right. It's, yes, that's true. I know someone, or I did used to know someone, who's played golf with both Sean Connery and George Lazenby. Wow. And they just needed to get, you know, the others. It's <laughs> yeah. not all of them. Yeah. But uh, who would he eat? No, I think we'd eat Connery. I think he could be quite annoying. I think he's the kind of person, if he wasn't elected leader, we'd spend the time complaining. Well, that's a shit way to do it. Or I might eat Brosnan, because I sense Brosnan might be quite delicious. Mm. I think he might be, in that, you know, he's obviously a very thin, trim man, but I think he might be marbled with delicious fat somewhere. Irish beef. Mm. And as leader, I think you'd have to have Craig, because I think he'd just get cross if he wasn't. Yeah. Though I'd rather have Roger Moore, who just says we have yeah. cigars as and lie down. Folks. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, we'll come up with an idea once we finish this scotch. <laughs> well, Mark Evans, thank you so much. Thank you. For discussing North Sea Hijack with it, me. It is a joy. It has been a joy. Thank you. A pleasure. Goodbye. Bye. Esther, Ruth and Jennifer, with the grateful thanks of the nation. Very thoughtful. Much appreciated. Well, if you'll excuse me, Mrs. Um, Prime Minister, I think they'd like a saucer of milk. 